You're listening to a sermon from Pasco Vale Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website, pvcc.org.au. Uh, well, good morning. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is uh, Javier. Uh, for those that we have met, it's great to see you. It's my joy and privilege to be able to come here uh, and unpack what God has prepared for us today. Uh, it's been too long since my last visit and, and I truly rejoice at seeing your faces. Praise God for the fact that we can um, be here today. Um, if you've been with us for the last uh, few weeks, we have been uh, unpacking after the series of, of Ezekiel, we have been unpacking uh, the gospel of, of Luke. And we've been looking at God's plan for the world. Uh, and today's sermon uh, focuses on a well-known story yeah, that we know. It's called the Good Samaritan. Um, really excited to be bringing these to you guys. And as we think through this, I would like to take you, uh, I would like you to come with me to this little city uh, in the southeast part of Ukraine. Now, this city here on the map is called Mariupol. Mariupol is in the North Sea of um, Azov. Now, the, the Sea of Azov is over here, and it connects by a small little bridge to the Black Sea. Now, on the east, it, uh, it has Russia, and then on the west, it has Crimea. Mariupol is an, was an absolutely uh, beautiful city. I might need the next slide. <laughs> <laughs> you will see it. It's a beautiful city. Um, lots, of, lots of trees and lots of beautiful architectural buildings. Um, prior to 2022, uh, Mariupol was one of uh, the, well, it was the 10th largest city in Ukraine. And, and Mariupol was, was known very much like Melbourne uh, for its higher education, um, for a lot of trade industry. Being in a coastline, it, it trades a lot. Um, it manufactures a lot. And its population is close to half a million. Beautiful city. Now, if you have been following the news um, of Russians' invasion to Ukraine, Mariupol has been pretty much destroyed. And the population went from half a million to, to less than 100 um, people that are, that are no longer living there. We can't even say they're living there. They're surviving there. Uh, it's, it's really atrocious. The city is destroyed. Uh, families have been ruptured. Um, men, women, and children have lost their lives. Jobs, businesses, homes... A whole family's future has been robbed. It, it's truly a, a sad and, and, and terrible picture um, that we now see in Mariupol. I want you to <clears throat> I want to imagine for a second that you are one of the, the people that had decided to to stay in Mariupol when you heard that there was going to be an invasion. Perhaps you, you, you heard that the city was potentially going to be bombed next week. And you thought to yourself, how am I going to leave my home? I've been here all my life. 
Uh, where am I going to go? So you decide to stay and day after day you start hearing news about how things are being broken apart. Close friends that you knew have passed. Uh, those who, who you love, you, you're not able to contact because internet and electricity has been cut off. And here you lie and rest uh, on, on a cold night uh, in your home. And you hear, outside of, of your home, you hear uh, this wailing. You're woken up by this wailing, this, this cry of agony, very close to your, to your front door. And yet you walk outside your, your, your lawn, or what's left of it. You have a torch in your hand because you can't really see. It's cold outside, so you're wearing a, a jumper, a jacket, and, and you walk. And as you walk to the front of your gate, uh, you find a man. Uh, and, and he's wailing. He seems to be in agony. And you, you come close to him. And as you, as you come close to him to, to try to aid him, Upon closer inspection, you realize the uniform that he has is a Russian uniform. In that moment, all those feelings, uh, the, all those pictures and memories of everything that has happened in the last months and last few weeks come running to your head as you, as you encounter uh, one of the perpetrators that has caused all this. I wonder how would you react? I wonder how would you respond? Would you, would you help these men? Or would you step away? I wonder what would drive your decision? As we look today at the, at the parable of the Good Samaritan, and as we unpack today's story, I would like you to, to ask these two questions to yourself. What motivates and drives your actions, your, your good deeds. Are you a good person? And the question that I think is most important for today's passage is, what confidence do you have of eternal life? With that said, let me just pray and we'll jump into what the Holy Spirit has prepared for us today. Let me pray. Um, dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for your word. I'm going to thank you that your word is alive and truth. Uh, dear Father, I pray and I ask that you would anoint me as I speak, and that you would anoint uh, our hearts as we listen to what you have prepared today. We ask this in the loving name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And together, as your people, we can say, Amen. Amen. I have three points for you today. Um, it's, not an, it's not exhaustive, but I'd like to cover three things that I think are, are, are very interesting, very, very insightful about uh, this parable. The first one is the law of eternal life. Uh, let's revisit for a second uh, what we just read, or what we just heard, sorry. Thank you, Margaret, for reading. In this commandment, um, Jesus comes to the lawyer and, and, and the lawyer, well, the lawyer comes to Jesus. And what do we know about the lawyer? We know that the lawyer is someone that is very well educated because he's a lawyer. <laughs> so he would know the law. He would be educated. He, he probably hangs around um, 
Pharisees and rabbis, and, 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 and he's very well connected in the circle. And he approaches Jesus um, to kind of try and test him, right? And he, he asks Jesus, hey, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life, he asks. And Jesus asks him, well, what do you think, right? What does the law say? What, what, what do you believe? And, and the lawyer uh, answers this, what we have on screen. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And upon hearing this, Jesus replies, he says, you have answered correctly. You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. That is correct. Uh, friends, if, if any of you have ever asked, if anyone comes to you and says, you know, what is, what is the law of life? The law of life is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your um, strength, and with all your mind. In fact, uh, and, and the second is itself, is, uh, the second one is as the first, you know, to love um, one another um, as yourself. In fact, in these two, in, in these two um, commandments, we can summarize the purpose of life. We can summarize the purpose of life uh, understanding that God created us to have a, a, a loving relationship with Him. And here, he created us not only to have a loving relationship with him, but to have a loving relationship with those around us. But the question then becomes, okay, Javier, I understand. I'm in this, in this earth to love God and to love others. But what is love? <laughs> you know, what, is, what is this love? We sing about it. We hear in the news. We, we said so many things. What is love? Well, the word love in this, in this text is, um, it's a word, uh, then the Greek is agape. Uh, and agape means to cherish, uh, to have uh, an affection, to, to care for, uh, to take pleasure. And an interesting, an interesting use of this word is that the word agape is, is, not, to be, is not meant to be used for, for an object. It's meant to be used for, for people. It's meant to be used for, 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 for persons. Your family, your spouse, your children, your friend, an acquaintance, your hairdresser, your favorite butcher, your mechanic. Uh, you, you get the point, right? And, and you, it's a word that you wouldn't use. Um, well, you can, but perhaps you shouldn't use for your TV, your iPad, uh, your car, your blender. Um, imagine if you use the same word to describe uh, your blender and to describe uh, your son or, or a close friend. I love you, uh, and I also I love you, my friend, and I also love my blender. <laughs> it, it, you know, you would be um, you were diminishing the meaning of the word, um, and it, particularly if you compare both, right? So. The word love is meant to be used uh, for, for, for people, for, for those who I created in, in the image of God. So let's unpack a little bit more what that means. The, the, the commandment says you are to love your God with all your heart. What does that mean? Well, to, to love with your heart, uh, or to put it in, in, in a Hebrew uh, context, it's to, to love with your gut, right? To, it's to 
to love with your deepest convictions, um, with your emotions, with your wills. And is that, to love with your heart, is that feeling that you get, um, you get excited, when you get nervous, uh, where, where, where you get emotions in, in your body? Um, as you might know, my wife and I just got married this year. Um, and, you know, a couple of, that whole week or, or the, the months leading up to it, just the thought of thinking about her and thinking about my wedding would, oh, would you know, would get butterflies in, 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 in my stomach, right? Uh, it would get me excited and, and also nervous. That, that is, that, is that, that heart love. Right, that with your God is is a feeling that, that you got when you were a kid, and you know that Christmas Day was the next morning, and you couldn't sleep because you you were so excited to see what gifts you were gonna get to unwrap the next day. So that is to love with all your heart, and um, to love with your soul. Um, the soul is an, an immaterial part of a person. Uh, it transcends uh, material and, and physical space. And to give an example of, of loving with, with all your soul is um, my parents live in Mexico. And, and, you know, I could go years without seeing them. But I still love them. Right? I, I, and I feel that same love for, for my mom and my dad and my sister and my relatives. Even though I don't see them, I don't hang out with them, uh, I don't get to tangibly do things with them, I... I still have a longing and a love for them, even though they are not here. Uh, that, that loving with your soul is a love that transcends the space in which we are. The third one is to love with all your strength. And with all your strength, just pretty much with, with your abilities, right? Uh, your abilities and power. And that is from being able to listen, being able to speak, being able to serve, being able to physically uh, love and serve and express that love. So it's more of a physical uh, expression of love. And finally, um, the last one is to love with all your mind. And, and this appeals to the reason, to, to knowledge, to understanding. It means that love is not senseless, is not inorderly, is not ignorant. Uh, it's knowing and loving versus ignoring. It has to do with intention. Um, it's... The difference here is just doing the groceries for the sake of doing the groceries versus doing the groceries because you know that you're going to bless or you're going to love um, your family with a meal you're going to cook. It's an in, it's intention be, behind with which you do things. And the love for God involves all these things. And Paul says, in, in 1 Corinthians 10.31, I love this. He puts this in harmony. He says, you know, to, to love God, to, to really love God in, in, in all of these aspects, is that whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God. It's a, to, to love God with all of these things is to, is to abide in Him and to dwell in His presence, to really um, abide in Him and, and, and have a harmony with Him. To give you an example of what this looks like, um, there is a medical term um, that is called uh, the attachment principle uh, that babies and mothers have when, when, when they are born. You see, when a, when a baby is born, is born uh, his first love, his first attachment is 
the mom. And, and the baby loves the mom so much, and, and, and his whole world revolves around her. He, uh, she provides for him. She cares for him. She, she, she lives him. In fact, the baby uh, relies so much in her that, that he lives for, because of, and by her and through her, right? And, and here's the interesting thing. Um, you, you would have noticed this in a baby. If, if, um, if a baby and a mom are in a room and the, and the mom suddenly leaves the room, what happens to the baby? He cries, right? Uh, if the baby goes outside of the field of vision of the mom, he, he starts looking for her automatically, and, and he cries. Is that attachment that you have? And in, in the same way, um, loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, all your mind, represents something similar. It's an attachment and dependency uh, with God. Uh, where even if we, we went to go outside, or God was to go, or we were to go outside of God's peripheral view, we would long for him. That is what this verse is, is kind of telling us. So I want to ask, I wonder where does your love and affection rest? Who do you turn to to rejoice, to mourn? Who or what occupies your mind when you are alone? Or what occupies your mind when, when you're making a decision? Now, the second commandment, loving yourself, uh, what is best for us? Um, it, it's, loving yourself is, is caring for yourself, and, and it's often not doing what we want for us, uh, but what is best for us, what we need, right? And in the same way, in order for, for us to love others, we want to think of what is best for them, not necessarily what, what, you, what you want for them. And I like... I like Jordan Peterson, uh, a, a, psychologist, a Canadian psychologist, puts uh, in one of his bestseller books called The Twelve Rules of Life. Uh, his second rule, I think, is quite interesting and quite applicable um, to this point. He says, um, the second rule is to treat yourself like someone you're responsible for. He said, you are morally guided to take care of yourself, and you should take care of um, help and be good to yourself the same way that you would take care of and help um, and be, a, and be good to someone you loved and valued. An example of this is my, my cousin um, has two boys, and one of them just recently got really sick. My nephew got really sick. He was rushed to the hospital, and, and turned out that he had uh, appendicitis. And uh, my cousin, for, for the next few weeks, she, she was... Um, she created this whole system to take care of him. You know, she, she had alarms for, for meds and where, when, when she had to give it to him. Um, she, she had a sleeping routine for him to make sure that he was sleeping well. He had a special diet for him to make sure that, that he was uh, recovering well. And in the same way, um, to love ourselves is to, is to take care of ourselves as if though we were responsible for someone else. And if we know how to love ourselves, then we understand what it is to love others. Because we are to love others and think of others as if we are taking care of ourselves and what we would need. In a practical sense, this is when you go get yourself a cuppa after the service, and you're thinking, I'm going to grab a cuppa, this is going to warm me up. Perhaps think, I wonder if the person next to me would feel the same um, warmth and satisfaction from a cuppa that I would. 
Uh, that, that is a, a small example of what that looks like. Um, perhaps you are making your budget for the year, or perhaps you are um, thinking about how you will spend your weekend. Uh, to love your neighbor, to love your neighbor as yourself, to think, well, what would I need, uh, what would I want for this weekend? How would I spend my time this weekend? And to ask, well, how could I love other people? And, and what would they want this weekend? It's not just thinking about ourselves. See, the, the Bible tells us that to have life in the now and in eternity is to be in, in harmony with God, to love Him and abide in Him, which is, which, which is a result that shifts our perception, our perception from us to others, from self-centeredness to be other-focused. And this bears a question. I, I wonder how, I wonder if we do these most of the time. I wonder if this is what you do and how you think for most of your day or perhaps for most of your week, or maybe twice a week, or maybe once a day, or maybe just once a week on Sundays. If not, then we need to ask, do we truly have eternal life? And do we, have, do we truly have life in this life? Because this is this tells us is, is what brings life to us now and in the age to come. Which leads us to the next point, to pass by on the other side. After Jesus' response uh, to, to the lawyer, the lawyer says here in, in verse 29 that, desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Um, this who is my neighbor is, is, is the Lord trying to, to evade the obligation or, or responsibility uh, to love. And you see, it's interesting because Jesus says, you have answered correctly. But then he says, do this and you will live. It, it kind of implies that the lawyer wasn't doing it. And so the lawyer is trying to to then justify himself, but, you know, really, who is my neighbor? And the interesting thing about, about the lawyer response is this, it is often a response of our hearts. It is often the same response that we have, that, that pride brings to us. We, we deny or we ignore a responsibility that we have. I, I, can almost hear, um, I can almost hear my mom telling me when I was a kid, Javier, have you cleaned your room? And I'm like, what room, mom? Um, I can almost hear, hey, who ate the last cookie in the counter? And I go, what cookie? We ignore ourselves. We ignore some, when, when faced with, with consequences, we often ignore um, or deny responsibility. And, and this denying responsibility, this, this uh, trying to justify ourselves, it seems to be at the core of our ancestry. Um, if you chase back your ancestry to these two guys, Adam and Eve, <laughs> Adam does a similar thing with Eve. Um, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 11, uh, when, when God confronts Adam and Eve about eating uh, the, the apple, um, and they are, they are naked, God says the following. He says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And hear what, what, what Adam says afterwards. He says, the woman who you, gave, who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. 
Adam is automatically shifting the responsibility. Hey, it's not my fault, it's her fault, right? So, so I guess the application for us here is, is in the case of the lawyer, he, he tries to evade the responsibility by questioning, hey, who is my neighbor? And the application for us is, well, I wonder how you and I try to evade or, or justify our responsibilities or obligations before God. How do you evade or justify your actions or lack of actions? How do you evade um, responding angrily to, to your partner, to your spouse, or to someone? Is it, I am too tired? Or is it, it's just too inconvenient for me at the time? Or, or is it, it's too difficult for me? When you see a need to love someone, do you shy away and say, someone else will, will handle it, surely. Surely someone will step up. Or, or my personal favorite, um, and this is one of the weeds that grows in my own garden, is, well, why do I need to be nice to this person if, if they're not nice to me? Why do I need to be patient to them? Why do I need to listen to them? Why do I need to, um, to show them patience and forgiveness if, if they themselves have not shown that to me. And you see, this, particularly, this particular one reduces love to a mere transaction without any care or sacrifice. Now Jesus, after, after sensing uh, some sort of openness in, in the question from the lawyer, he proceeds him to tell him the following parable. He says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Uh, that means that he saw him and he said, no, thank you very much. I'm going to walk this way, right? And the same thing happened. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, in this picture of the priest and the Levite, um, it might not have been uncommon for, for, for a priest or a Levite to, to be walking uh, past this road. Uh, they, they, they often went from, from, from the temple in, in Judea and, and in Jerusalem to, to Jericho. Their families might live in Jericho, and, and they would travel around. So it's not common for them to be walking by. But if you happen to see both of them at this time, like, that by itself would have been like a good omen. Oh, these, these great people of God who, 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 who abide in, and are close to God, I get to interact with them. You see, the priests, they were non, known for serving God in the temple. And the priests were particularly um, in charge of, of offering sacrifices to God. And then the Levites, on the other hand, they, they were responsible and assisted in the maintenance of the temple um, on maintaining service and maintaining order. Now, having these two individuals walk past it just seems like a good omen. We, we just think, surely, they're going to take care of this guy, right? 
But in their actions, we see that the core of the law lacks love. You see, it's like having, it's like having the latest car, um, all shiny, brand new, out of the dealership, delivered to your front door, and it's sitting there all sparkling, brand new, ready for you to hop on a ride and take him down to the Great Ocean Road just to realize it doesn't have any petrol. Or it's like baking a delicate cake with carefully um, following all these instructions and all steps and, 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 and smelling the, 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 the warmness of it, but then realizing that you substituted sugar for salt. That would taste awful. You know, this passage doesn't tell us the reason why they didn't stop. But could it be that these priest and Levite represent the lawyer who knows about the law but lacks love, lacks compassion, lacks mercy? Instead of showing compassion and mercy, they pass by on the other side. Meaning they see the need, they know what they need to do, but they choose to ignore it. And it's a tangible way of describing their unwillingness to love their neighbor. You see, both of these knew the law. They performed it regularly through sacrifices and acts of service. Yet they seem to, to miss the core of God's law, love. Uh, Paul gives a good insight about this and. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, you know, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have no love, I am noisy, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to say, remove mountains, but have no love, I am nothing. If I give it all away, all I have, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have no love, I gain nothing. It seems that for the lawyer and the example of the priest and the Levite, their confidence for eternal life, their confidence in they're doing what is right, their confidence in, the, in, in, in God rests solely in their knowledge, in their religion. They pass by the other side and ignore compassion and mercy. And I wonder, where does your confidence for eternal life rest. I wonder whether you and I are like the priest and the Levite that pass by the other side when faced with a need. Perhaps it is our confidence in saying, you know, I go to church on Sundays, I serve at church, I've done good before in my life. Is your confidence in those things? You pass by the other side and saying, you know, I might not always step up if someone is in need or the opportunity to love is there, but I've done it in the past. Or perhaps, yes, I haven't been the, the most loving to my spouse, my children, or, or my neighbors today, but, you know, last month I, I trimmed um, my neighbor's yard, not just mine. Right? Or, you know, last week was, was my child's birthday, and I, you know, I showered him 
with love. Why do I need to spend time with them? Why do I need to be forgiven? Why do I need to be patient to them today? Through this example, Jesus wants to challenge the way we live and show us that we cannot justify or gain eternal life by religious practices, by ourselves. Which leads us to, to the last point. And this is where, where the rubber hits the road. The need for compassion and mercy. The need for compassion and mercy. Jesus continues in the parable and he says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, this is the rob man, um, he had compassion. Just a brief history of the Samaritans before we, we continue. Um, Samaria was located at uh, the north of, of Judea, uh, north of, of Jericho. And, and to put it simple, the, the, the Samarians were former Jews that had intermarried with other nations, sinful nations. And they had washed down their beliefs about God, and they had rejected God and, and walked away from God. In fact, they had created their own uh, rules and sacrifices and their own temple um, separate from the law that Moses had given, the law of God. And so there was this huge clash between, between Jews and, and Samaritans and Samarians, to the point where they couldn't be in the same room. You, you definitely do not speak to them, and you definitely uh, wouldn't touch them by any sort of means. Uh, that would be like, you know, like touching a rotten corpse. Uh, it, it would be uh, an antagonism that is found um, in today, perhaps between Israel and Palestine. Uh, there, there, there would be a hatred that just sips through generations. So this, is the, 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 this, this guy from Samaria is the one that has compassion over these men. So let's return to the story. That was just a, a brief, brief history. Um, it says that he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And then Jesus asked this question. Um, which of these three, he asked the lawyers, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus says, you go and do likewise. The first question that Jesus answers here for, for the man is, who is your neighbor? And the answer to who is your neighbor is plain and blunt. Is anyone who is created in the image of God. Yes, the person that is um, on the other car next to you that just cut you through the line on the way to church, he's also your neighbor. <laughs> the person living next to you, he's also your neighbor. The person on the tram is also your neighbor. If he has uh, the image of God, if he's a human, he is your neighbor. It is blunt. And it doesn't matter if there is uh, a war or a division of, of emotions. 
he still or he or she is still your neighbor. But more than showing us who is your neighbor, the parable shows what real love and compassion and mercy is. This man sets him on his own animal, brings him to an inn, gives him to the nari, which is equally like two days or a week's salary. And then he says to him, hey, whatever cost is needed, I will provide. And what this tells us straight off the bat is that love requires sacrifice. For the Samaritan guy was his animal, his money, his time, and in future needs. Love requires sacrifice. And this is a challenging insight about love from Jesus. And from it, we can draw some important contrast with the world in which we live. You know, the world tells us that, that love often has a price. But this passage tells us that love is priceless. The world tells us that love can be a funny feeling. And it stays there. And, and this passage tells us that love requires an action. The world tells us that to love is to give. This passage tells us that to love is to serve. The world tells us that love is spontaneous. And this passage tells us that love is intentional. The world tells us that love is self-fulfilling. And this passage tells us that love is selfless. The world tells us that love is for us. This passage tells us that love is for others. The world tells us that love is convenient. And this passage tells us that love is sacrificial. And here's a catch. And here, here's, here's the, the, the core of the message and what I would like you to take away. Like the man who has been robbed, we ourselves can feel the tangible consequences of the sinful world in which we live. Whether it be loneliness, sadness, disappointment, injustice, suffering, pain. And like the man who has been robbed, we, we are in need of help. And there is no religion or practice that can satisfy our need or our thirst. Only Jesus can. And so we can say that, that Jesus is the true and better Samaritan in this parable. Well, the Samaritan shows compassion and mercy. God shows his compassion and mercy to us by sending his son to die for us. Well, the Samaritan lends his own animal. Jesus comes to earth. Well, the Samaritan brings him into an inn and takes care of him. Jesus brings him into his kingdom and shows us the way. Whilst the Samaritan pays money and whatever his cost is needed in the future, Jesus pays for our reconciliations through his death and resurrection. And he pays for past, present, and future needs and sins. This passage, this parable of the Good Samaritan is telling us that we cannot save ourselves by being good Samaritans. We all fall short of that benchmark. Instead, we are saved by Jesus, our Good Samaritan. And we are saved to be like Jesus, our Good Samaritan. Let me just finish up with 
with us coming back to, to the story of Mariupol. We're back in Mariupol. We're back with the soldier in front of us who is in need. He's there, he's dying, he's wailing, he's agonizing. He's in need. And we ask at the beginning of the service, how would you react? Would you find it hard to love this person? Would you find it hard to, to take care of him? Or, or would, it, would it be in you to actually care for and provide for these men? I'll tell you what Jesus does. Jesus forgives him. Jesus welcomes him. Jesus adopts him. Jesus heals him. Jesus dies for him. You see, we are that soldier in this story of Marie Pearl who has rebelled, who have rebelled against God. In our rebellion, we have corrupted, destroyed, and tarnished our relationship with God and his creation. We cannot save ourselves by being good Samaritans. We are saved by Jesus, our good, true, and better Samaritan. And knowing this, knowing that we have been saved and that, we that someone has extended us this love, empowers us to love like Jesus loved us, to be a good Samaritan. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much um, yeah, for the fact that you unveiled to us, God, um, your love through Scripture. I thank you, Father, that even though we have rebelled against you, um, you have sent your Son to reconcile us to you, to adopt us. And in Jesus, we, we, we have life. And we have full adoption and forgiveness of our sins. And I pray, Father, that, that you would help us to be like Jesus. That, that we would not be like the Levite or the Pharisee or the lawyer in this, in this parable who, who pass by on the other side, who ignore the opportunity that you give us to love and to serve. Father, I pray that in whichever way the Holy Spirit has steered our hearts uh, into this message, uh, that you would continue to to water that seed and that thought that we will bear fruit to love you uh, in today's eternal life and the age to come. Um, we ask this in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.